Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. And like herpes and the McDonald's McRib sandwich, he's back. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. Uh, Back from, uh, boy, it's been a little bit over three weeks since I last recorded. And it feels good to be back sitting here behind the microphone at my uh, recording studio built here in my home just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And on this week's show in uh, Pipe Parts, I'm going to talk about my trip. Yeah, it'll just be a trip report. Um, not much pipe smoking related for you in it, except, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it'll be a trip report. My guest is a uh, maker of uh, pipes by Murph. It's Murph himself, and I got to sit down and chat with him. Oh, boy, I think it's been a month now, but, uh, yeah, fascinating guy. So you get to hear that. Uh music mailbag and a rave uh the music and the rave all dedicated to the memory of frank burla and i'll talk more about him in the rave at the end of the show and in fact as we're recording this right now i'm smoking a tin of uh mcclellan uh, mcclellan cpcc honor series frank p burla doctor of pipes blend it's a virginia perique um this is a Virginia Perique blend that uh, Mike and, and that I ha- had asked Mike to make and use it in this series. Uh, canned in 2016, which I believe was Frank's last year of running the Chicago Pipe Show. Uh, this is a Virginia Perique that McClellan did in 2007 for the Kansas City Pipe Show of which I still have about three of the limited production tins. And I believe they only did uh, 250 of these cans, uh, or maybe it was 250 cans total. Or uh, Anyway, it, it was a limited production that they did, so that's what I'm smoking right now. It is a McClellan Virginia Perique, and a little bit more on the ketchup-y side than my normal... Uh, Blakeney's Acadian Ribbon, but enjoying that in Frank's memory. And again, we'll talk about him more uh, towards the uh, music and the rave at the end of the show. Uh, Just a reminder, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this fine show. And uh, iTunes ratings and reviews greatly appreciated, so please keep those coming. Got a couple of them in the last few weeks. Much appreciated. And uh, you'll hear those in the mailbag, which is my way of reminding myself to uh, read those in the mailbag when we get to it. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And all right, trip report. Uh, So we, uh, we left on Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, we had to jump through a few hoops in regards to COVID-19 and get some uh, tests done pre-departure. Really simple and was able to do it at home online with a proctor and those tests qualified for travel into the European Union and into Italy. So we got that negative test. Uh, Flight there, no problems. Plenty of... uh, scheduled it with plenty of time for changing planes in philadelphia uh the one quick comment we all know that i smoke uh two hand-rolled cigarettes a more each morning one with each cup of coffee then i switch to the pipe uh at the philadelphia airport there was a duty-free store that uh had my hand-rolling tobaccos and instead of about 14 dollars a pouch that i pay they were uh about four dollars and fifty cents so I was thrilled, so I bought more than I should have. Uh, 
But anyway, that was also part of my plan because if there was any kind of delays or issues with travel or anything, if we we uh, we were under the threat of you know possibly getting quarantined at any point, I wanted to make sure and have plenty of tobacco with me. So I did, and I had plenty of pipe tobacco as well. In fact, I came back with <laughs> came back with a tin and a half completely full. <laughs> yeah, a full tin and a half of tobacco that I never touched. Uh, anyway, so travel there was fine. Now, here's the benefit to using a uh, travel planner, because I did use Grace Corba at MEI Travel. She trained with me, and she's done a couple other things for me, and I can highly recommend her. Uh, she hooked us up with a hotel in central Rome, and I told her that I needed to have a place that had breakfast, and I wanted a place where I could also, you know, where smoking was somewhat comfortable. And she and she knew of this hotel that had an out an outdoor courtyard. So the hotel in Rome had a beautiful courtyard, protected from the street, protected from the wind, uh, ashtrays on all the tables out there. It was absolutely wonderful for my evening, you know, for my afternoon and evening sitting with a pipe. Uh, and then in the morning, yeah. Perfect. So once again, the benefits to using a travel planner is I would have never known. So we uh, we get to Rome, we get a chance to wander around a little bit, see the Colosseum, see the uh, Trevi Fountain, and then it was off to bed. And then the next day, uh, onto the cruise ship. And again, we had another hurdle of another COVID test that had to be done at the pier, and we had to get a negative, you know, a negative result if we wanted to get on the ship, and that went fairly flawless. So again, uh, you know, every hurdle that we had to get through when we got on the ship, we were there and fine. Uh, on the ship, pipe smoking wise, there was a cigar lounge. I did not ask if I could smoke my pipe inside the cigar lounge because I, on this ship and where our cabin was, this it was not conducive. It wasn't convenient for me. So it was just a, it was more convenient for me to go to one of the two outdoor smoking areas which were fine except on the really windy times all right and uh and and uh, it was it was fine except for there were two really annoying other passengers on the ship one passenger was a chain cigarette smoker who kept mooching cigarettes from people because he kept running out <laughs> and the other one was just one one lady that was an expert on everything and i had to explain to her that i'm an expert on my own opinion uh, anyway, so the two outdoor smoking areas, uh, except if it was really kind of windy, were were really nice for sitting and smoking my pipe on there. Uh, was not inundated with uh, you know with cigarette smoke because they were either semi protected or you know mostly outdoors. Uh, and then got to hang out and got to meet some really really nice people in the smoking area. And we've exchanged uh, emails and stuff like that. So, uh, again, one of the, you know, you get to meet some, you get to meet some really cool people on a cruise. Now, let me sum a, let me try to sum up this cruise because this was a delayed 30th wedding anniversary. It was a, a little bit over a year ago. And this cruise was for the ports. Uh, the ports that we went to were uh, Dubrovnik, Croatia. Corfu, uh, Olympus, Santorini, Mykonos, and Athens, all in Greece, and then Naples and uh, Florence in Rome, in Italy, and then back to Rome. Uh, pipe smoking wise, both Italy and Greece and Croatia really friendly for smoking any kind of pipe or cigar or cigarette at any of the outdoor cafes or walking down the street, no problem. Obviously, you can't smoke indoors. And uh, it, both in Italy and in Greece, you cannot smoke your pipe when you go into any of the ancient sites, any of the archaeological sites. There's no smoking in those at all. So I was able to hold my pipe up to my mouth, but that was about it. Uh, but again, when you stop, you know, when we did get a break on some of our excursions uh, and we were able to sit at a cafe and the weather was perfect, which it was most of the time, uh, lighting up a pipe and sitting there with a cup of coffee or a bottle of water or a local beer or whatever it was, was perfectly acceptable. Uh, 
if you get a chance, you really should see. I, I think yeah, after going and seeing the Colosseum in Rome and seeing uh, Mount Olympus and the origin, the origin of the Olympic Games, and then going to the Acropolis in Athens, uh, Pompeii was the one that wowed me the most. Uh, the city of Pompeii is over 160 acres, almost all excavated and preserved in the uh, you know in 2,000 year old status. Uh, the only thing that really got destroyed in the eruption in 79 A.D. was anything that was wood. Everything that was stone is still there. Uh, so you got we got to walk around that. But again, this so this this cruise was much more about the destinations and the sightseeing uh, than it was really about the relaxation and sitting uh, you know sitting by the pool and doing stuff like that uh, we did get a couple of slower days on the sea days which was nice and we got a couple of days in uh, Santorini and Mykonos where all we did was got off the ship and wandered around the cute little Greek towns and you know sampled uh, uh, sampled the local food and it was in uh, uh, the town of Olympia, Greece, where I discovered that I've fallen in love now with Greek coffee. Uh, I I must I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody, but the Greek coffee is very similar to Turkish and Armenian coffees. But boy, is it good! Uh, boy, is it good! I did not get to uh, visit any pipe shops and wasn't really kind of interested in visiting any pipe shops. Uh, after the cruise, we did go to Venice for four days and. I knew the hotel and I booked a hotel with a balcony overlooking the Grand Canal and sitting out on that Grand Canal terrace with, uh, you know, with my pipe and or with a cup of coffee and just watching all the little different boats go by. It's just fascinating. I mean, everything, anything in Venice gets delivered by boat. And when I mean anything, I mean, including uh, there was a, uh, yeah, a, a hearse boat that would go by in the morning. Occasionally we saw it with, you know, the casket on the back of it, but, uh, everything gets delivered by boat. And, uh, and again, uh, once again, walking around Venice, I didn't have anybody at any of the outdoor seating areas ever tell me that I couldn't smoke my pipe sitting at a table. Uh, we did have a couple days that were a little, uh, the wind was rough, so it made it really tough to smoke a pipe outside. Uh, and again, I was kind of happy to get back and be able to smoke my pipe indoors finally again for the first time in, uh, 18, 19 days. Um, anyway, and then one big hiccup coming back, uh, the, we missed our connection in Miami. So we ended up having to spend the night in Fort Lauderdale and then catch the flight that was catch a flight at 4 p.m. So we got home about 20 hours later than we were scheduled to. Uh, just part of the fun of air travel and part of the fun of, you know, you're at the mercy of the airlines and whatever happens, happens. So luckily for us, the delay was on the back end coming here and coming back home where we didn't really have to be home at a specific day. So losing the day was not a big deal. Um, <laughs> but it was nice to get back home, get unpacked, get into our own bed and our own shower and, you know, be able to smoke a pipe inside. So there you go. There's the trip report. Again, not much really piping tobacco related. I did get to uh, smoke my pipe walking around outside the Coliseum because we didn't go into the Coliseum. Uh, but yeah, uh, just a, a great trip, a once in a lifetime trip. I'm really glad we did it looking forward to our next trip all right comments questions email me brian at pipesmagazine.com remember if you're traveling anywhere reach out to me i'm happy to give you my advice and i cannot uh, recommend grace enough for booking your trip for you and in just a moment uh we'll have uh pipe maker murph of murph of pipes by murph this is internet radio a savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. 
They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And joining us is a pipe maker. And I, you know what, Murph, I'm going to call you more than more than just a pipe maker in the true form of the word artisan um you are an artist that happens to work with briar and you happen to make pipes so from uh from pipes by murph murph welcome to the pipes magazine radio show well thank you brian and uh i appreciate the introduction and i'm honored to be on your show and with that, I'd like to read just a little piece of the conundrum of the workshops written in 1890 by uh, my favorite, Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. When the flush of the newborn sun fell first on Eden's green and gold, our father Adam sat under the tree and scratched with a stick in the mold. And the first rude sketch that the world had seen was joy to his mighty heart, till the devil whispered behind the leaves, it's pretty, but is it art? <laughs> so <clears throat> there you go now it goes on from there but uh i think that's enough poetry for this session <laughs> no i love rudyard kipling so uh there was a little disney book based off of some of his stuff or disney movie so uh anyway let's oh, let, yeah let's get to know you where'd you grow up because you you've already grown up um but where'd you grow up what did you do when you grew up and how did pipe smoking get into your life uh, those are all good questions. Um, the standard stuff. I grew up, um, did my formative years in San Fernando Valley, uh, grew up and went through high school there. Uh, got a high school, graduated in 1965 and 67, but I got drafted out of college. So in 67, I went into the Navy, joining the Navy to avoid the draft, of course, because I didn't want to go to Vietnam. The Navy has different, so I spent four years in the Navy instead of two years in the draft, but the Navy had their own ideas of what they wanted to do with me. So they made me a hospital corpsman, which meant mm -hmm. that they uh, attached me with the Marines. So I spent a year in Vietnam with the Marine Corps. Oh boy. Um, and then got back out, spent my last year in San Diego, California at, uh, at Naval Air Station, North Island. Wonderful place. Love San Diego. Beautiful place. Um, where Jeff Grayson lives, by the way. And you yeah. that. So I got out of there, met my wife, and uh, immediately went, went back to school, earned a degree in physics. We both moved up to Santa Barbara, California, uh, where I've been surfing ever since. So I surfed in high school and been surfing my whole life. Um, then pipes, right after I got out of the military, my you know, looking for something for my dad. And back in the 70s, uh, Tinderbox was everywhere they were ubiquitous in every mall and yeah. i wandering through the mall looking for something for my dad for christmas he smoked a pipe from time to time mostly cigarettes but he did smoke a pipe so i found a pipe kit in a tinderbox store and bought it and took home and thought i'd make it a very personal gift to my dad so i carved him a pipe um it was kind of crude and i actually put it on my website as a photograph of it <clears throat> but he enjoyed the pipe and smoked it a lot um after that, I thought, you know, this is really fun. It's kind of a nice outlet for spending time. It's a pastime. It feels good to deal with something and, that you can hold in your hand and actually use. Um, so I started carving pipes, and I found out that, you know, I could pay for my tuition and books by carving pipes and consigning them in some of the pipe shops in San, San Diego. So that's what I did. <laughs> and that worked reason well although you know back in the day there were a lot of other pipe sellers and, and the danes were really that was paid so some of the uh, very special danish pipes i i tried to strive to making making things of that nature uh, back then i was using all vulcanite stems because they're you know cheap and efficient and easy to get a hold of and and they make a nice stem for a uh, a Danish style freeform pipe. So I did a lot of that. Um, and the Tinderbox started having these pipe carving contests, amateur pipe carving contests in the early, uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, every year I'd try and carve something very, very special. 
and then bring it to these contests and see what I could do. Now, the way it worked is a pipe store to have contest, and then the winner of that contest, they would offer something like a you know, $30 gift certificate or a pipe or something of that nature. Um, so I'd win the local contest, and then that would go to the national contest where when the tinderbox got their annual gathering of all the tinderbox owners, they would hold this contest. And uh, the members of the conference of pipe makers of St. Claude, France, would be flown to America, and these guys would judge the contest. So after five or six years of entering this contest, I finally won. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Oh, that was a big deal. I mean, yeah. I won. They they divided it into four regions in the nation, and there was so every year there were four regional winners, but one of them was a grand prize winner, and so I coveted that grand prize. I wanted that because it was a trip or two to France. I could, you know, I was a student. I couldn't afford to fly to France, but the tinderbox would certainly afford to send me there. So I'd spend my weekends carving these pipes, and uh, finally won. Wow! <laughs> it was great, Brian. And wasn't was that the pipe that was also featured in one of the like the first edition of Richard Hacker's pipe book? That's exactly correct. He did have a photograph of that pipe. We called it uh, "Fiddler on the Root." <laughs> and when I carved those pipes for contests, um, what I did is I'd I'd get. You know, I'd scratch at the surface, I'd often get a regional winner prize. But then I'd have to look and very carefully explore what it was that, that these pipe carvers or these, these French guys were looking for in a pipe. So this last year, I, it was a rather free-form style pipe with flying arches and, and curves and things. So sort of a simplified but beautiful showing the grain and the grain of course followed the bowl and then on it was a little man in coveralls with bare feet playing a violin <laughs> so that caught their imagination that year and that the rest was history since then well actually it turns out if the truth be told pretty much after that pipe contest, we, you know, I graduated college, got to, went to work, and then my wife and I raised children. Yeah. And when we raised children, pipe making went on a hiatus. So it wasn't until after I retired from working that I decided I came out and found some briar blocks that I had left in the garage, and decided, hey, this is. This is still as fun as it was back then. <laughs> so I started carving again. Now, had pipe smoking stayed with you the whole time, or did you take time off from pipe smoking? That's, that's an interesting question, too, Brian. Um, it turns out that pipe smoking was part of it. I, I enjoy smoking a pipe, but uh, if I smoke too much, I get a raw throat, uh, which is not good. The other thing was uh, I never smoked cigarettes until I got in the military. Now, they had this deal in boot camp that um, if you got them, smoke them. If you don't, pick them up. So <laughs> for two or three days, um, I was picking up cigarette butts until I started bumming cigarettes from friends. <laughs> <laughs> and after a while, you get in the habit. By the time I was in spending, you know, with the Marines in Vietnam, I was spending, uh, I was going through a couple packs a day. Back stateside, and I was down to about a pack a day. And, and about one month after I left the military, I quit smoking cigarettes entirely. And uh, you probably know what that's like, since you did it yourself. Yeah. Like you, it's, you feel like um, you know you after you eat, you need a cigarette. After you have a drink or a beer, you need a cigarette. After you have you know uh, conjugation with your other half you need to smoke a cigarette <laughs> and when you don't you, you walk down the street with bolts of lightning coming out your forehead and knocking down trees and things it's just crazy but uh, so i so i took up pipe smoking again little bits at a time and and that's you know it's good 
just I just can't do too much of it, but I'd love to. If I could if I could smoke a pipe five times a day, I would. But I can get away with it maybe once a week. So that's that's what I do. And uh, we we live in a very fortunate age, I think, where um, although tobacco smoking is eschewed by the masses and, and cursed by those our betters, um, we can get some really, really choice pipe tobacco. So smoking is a wonderful thing to do, just sitting down and smoking a pipe. It's kind of like a uh, it's kind of like a good drink, you know. A good a good cocktail or beer is great once or twice a week, but probably not really good for you if you're doing it five or six times a day. That's yeah, that's a good good analogy. I would I would grant you that. That's that's a, almost a perfect analogy. Yeah, you don't want to drink a beer all day and probably don't want to smoke your pipe all day either. But some people do. Yeah, I do, and that's great. Yeah, hey, if you can get away with it, why not? I I would love to. Now, there's actually a little little known article that was done a number of years ago, and I think it was in the American the Journal of American Medical Association JAMA. Um, and I can't tell you what year. But what they found is that going through the demographics of smokers, they found that pipe smokers actually extend their life by a couple of years over non-smokers. Yep. So. Of course, they make reasons. The reasons are perhaps that this is a very relaxing thing to do, and these people don't do it all that much, so that the the good offsets the bad effect, and uh, these people live longer. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Of course, the American Medical Association did not like that answer, and of course, they tried to bury the article, but it's still available if you want to dig for it. Murph, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about surfing because I, I, I guarantee we're going to talk about that. But we got to get into your pipes because you do some pipes that are just incredible as well as traditional stuff. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age. What you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. And you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm, smoking pipes in faithful service of the hobby. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with uh, Murph of Pipes by Murph uh, so I, I got to ask you about surfing. All right. Because growing up in Los Angeles, right near where you did, of course, we all went to the beach. I tried to stand up on one of those water surfboard thingies and I fell down and it was not pretty, but, uh, in, uh, up where you are, do you prefer? So for a lot of people that don't know, most of the beaches in Southern California, the most of the really good surfing beaches face due south. And you, yes. you get those really yes. good waves coming up the coastline. Uh, so you obviously want to go to one of the south facing beaches, right? Yeah, that's, that's reasonably true. Um, it turns out it's a little bit different than that, Brian. The, um, turns out that, in the summertime, for us, it's wintertime in the Southern Hemisphere. And that's where the big storms are, and they produce these giant fetches where the wind is pushing waves up towards us. So in the summertime, we get the swells from the south. Malibu fires off. The south day in Santa Monica goes off, and all those places go off, and it's wonderful. In the wintertime, the Northern Hemisphere is firing, 
And so you're getting these swells that are coming in from the west or the northwest. And that's where Santa Barbara is magical. So now that I live in Santa Barbara, the swells that come in through the channel, between the Channel Islands and the coast, make these wonderful long waves uh, that go down. Of course, Rincon, world-famous Rincon, the queen of the coast, goes off, but then so does Muscle Shoals and uh, Faria and Ventura Point and on and on and on. We've got wonderful points where you can ride waves for long ways. Beautiful thing. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest wave you think you've ridden? Oh, I've ridden up to when I was younger. I rode waves that were probably three times overhead. So people would call those probably 15 to 18 foot waves. Um, <laughs> yeah. In my age, I don't dare do that anymore because it's like being tackled by a football team. <laughs> Not to mention that it takes tremendous uh, effort to keep from trying to breathe when you're bouncing on the bottom 18 feet underwater and you don't know which direction is up because it's all black. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, so that's, yeah, that's, that's a fun thing. But, and there are people that ride big waves now. I mean, there's a place in Portugal that, uh, I think, uh, a gal just rode a close to a hundred foot wave. <laughs> and this is Nazare in Portugal. So it's, the, the, the sport has taken off in very different direction. And back in the day when I was a kid, when you were a kid, Waimea Bay and Sunset Beach in Hawaii were the big wave spots. Now it's Mavericks and uh, uh, some some places, Puerto Escondido um, and Biahi in Hawaii. Um as well as uh, Nazare in Portugal. But there are other places in, around the world that get just huge swells and people are trying to ride and, and surviving. <laughs> but other people, <laughs> not lucky. And, and yeah, now, that, uh, now that you're retired, I mean, how often are you in the water? Uh, as often as we get swell here. And then I'll go for two or three days, I'll go surfing. Um, so the swell, you know, waves aren't always happening. So the waves come, and then they're gone. So it's like a storm coming through. But the everything else has to match up. So the waves have to be there, but then you don't want the wind on the waves to torture it. And you want a little bit of sunshine to make it nice. Yeah. Uh, so if the surface conditions are bad and it's all blown up, it's, it's worthless no matter how big the waves are. The conditions have to come together, and they often do. And when they do, it's just wonderful. So I'm surprised you never got into surfing being that you're a Southern California boy yourself. I have no physical attributes whatsoever. The, the, the best, the most coordination I can put together is walking. And, and even, <laughs> that, even that proves to be Engine a problem sometime. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it for all of us, I think. Yep. Yeah. Especially if I've had too many beers. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So let, let's get into your pipes for uh, for a minute here because you've, so you, your pipes kind of break down into a couple of different categories. And you, you want to take us through those? Yeah. Um, Brian, my pipes are kind of different than, than standard. Most people look at smoking pipes and they think, you know, they're very, very beautiful pipes. Uh, Benny Jorgensen, former Geiger, you know, Alex Floroff, Abe Herboff, Michael Parks, uh, Todd Johnson. These people make gorgeous pipes. My pipes are essentially sculptures. I like doing three-dimensional sculptures, putting little creatures or people or carving relief carvings into the pipe. So mine are more, you might say, Mearsham-like. So the the, Mears, the Turks get their Mearsham in Eskahir, Turkey, and that's a nice, wonderful medium to carve in, but they're very soft. So the pipes I carve are briar, and so I do essentially what they do uh, only in briar. And then I've got my own mechanisms or a stick. When I'm doing sculpture, uh, often if I'm doing something very elaborate, I'll make a maquette, a little model 
out of clay so that I can move things around and manipulate them until I get it right and balanced on the pipe, make the pipe look right. So, so I've got a fairy on a pipe and I've got a bunch of mermaids. I love doing the mermaids. Um, and different creatures that I put on the pipe. So, but these pipes have to be set being that at times you might actually drop your pipe. <laughs> no. If there are too fine details, yeah, heaven forbid, but it happens and I don't want the thing to break. So there's a certain amount of engineering going on that it will break maybe the stem or it might ding the edge of the bowl, but I don't want the sculpture to be destroyed. There's a recipe clean, but don't break a head off of a fairy, for goodness sake. <laughs> so that's so that's part of my design ethic. I like to, uh, so basically I'm trying to make a really nice, beautiful pipe. And I spend a lot of time doing it. It's enjoyment for me because I'm, I'm doing fine. I don't really need the money, but uh, I don't want to give them away at the same, <laughs> you know, on the same hand. So yeah, my pipes might be a little bit more expensive than your, than a lot of people are willing to pay. But that's because there's an incredible amount of time and effort instilled in creating one of these things. And love, I guess. So I put a lot of myself into creating a pipe. Did you have any art training or is this sculpture design, is this all natural? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, actually, I have no formal training in art whatsoever. I've always enjoyed art, and particularly sculpture. My mother actually saved some carvings that I did when I was four or five years old, when I started carving bars of ivory soap. So <laughs> wow. I was thrilled enough to keep them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's essentially like carving meerschaum. If you've ever carved a meerschaum, you, you know what it's like to carve ivory soap. Um, and then I got into sculpture when I was in college, just admiring and looking at sculpture and of course carving some clay sculptures uh, and bronze. I actually did some bronze for a while. Um, but Bernini and mm -hmm. uh, Michelangelo, I mean the greats, some of these people, um, Bellini, but Bernini was my favorite. If, you, if you're ever at the Vatican and you yeah. look around on the cornice around the top, there are one sculpture after another. He's gorgeous, incredible pieces that were done by Bernini in his school. Um, and he's done things like Daphne and Apollo, where you look at this thing, and it's the leaves coming out of the tree. And this is part of marble. It's insane. So I, get it, I draw inspiration from classical art, and uh, I would love to emulate them in large, but I do it in small. And, and part of it is that the enjoyment of smoking a pipe to me is not only enjoying the tobacco, but enjoying the pipe itself and looking at the pipe as a thematic thing, just spending time grokking this piece. So my favorite pipes are my own, actually. So I love <laughs> looking at what I've sculpted and, and just considering what it is. And I think other people do the same when they buy one of my pipes. They, they really enjoy just sort of facing this little piece of sculpture and thinking about what it means or how it's done. And you know, it's got a certain meaning to it. Yeah. So you, so you do what you call the simple smokers, which are just, your variations of traditional shapes, some Danish style, mostly, you know, mostly a Danish influence on, on the classic shapes. Uh, and then we step it up and you do the sophisticated ornamentation, which I, I, you know, we were talking before we started recording, but where your bulldog is instead of two lines, there's an entire band of carved ornamentation including you know dolphins and lizards and stuff like that going on in there um 
you know, so that's, that, that can't be a quick job that you're doing in there. No, that's exactly right. And it's, so those are things that come from inspiration as well. It's kind of like, okay, so I want to make a pipe. And so I, I get an inspiration that, oh, you know, I really enjoy the bulldog shape. I've always admired that. So I will do something of that nature and then, but throw my own uh, interpretation into it. And I find that a lot of fun. So, you know, whether whether somebody else really enjoys that or the, what they produce a more, just a simple double groove in a bulldog pipe, um, that's a personal issue, I think. But for me, like like you said, I yeah, I love to embellish yeah. in some way. And, and then your creatures of whimsy, that's where you really just kind of cut loose. Is that... Is that, is that a fair statement? Yep. That's that's pretty fair. Yeah, that's that's the kind of deal where I'm going off and I'm going, okay, I want to make a pipe that looks like something's crawling on it. Yeah. But it's carved out of a single piece. So I often get a question. They go, um, did you just carve the pipe and then you separate and glued it on? <laughs> no, it's all one piece. It's the same piece of briar. So that's that's kind of a fun thing. And, and again, when you're designing these, you're also carving these pieces so that, you know, so that these little pieces don't break off that easily either. That's yes, that's the intent. So there are some that you probably looked at the one that's got the skeleton on it, where I think I called it um, the prisoner or something of that nature. So this guy's been in, in the prison long enough, so he's strapped against the bowl um, <laughs> and he's uh, completely decayed into skeletal form and that that pipe took quite a while to do but I think it just stands on it by itself it's just a you know you've got a classic what would you call it billiard is that a billiard yeah but uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a classic billiard with somebody that died on it as a prisoner <laughs> <laughs> Which which automatically appeals to my uh, my my Disney and Disneyland uh, fanaticism and the fact that you also grew up right near there when it opened and I'm jealous about that but we're we're, we're not we're not going to bore everybody with that because I mean I could talk about that forever uh, the one thing oh, that I yeah you know, the one thing that I do want to mention is uh, Halloween's coming up and you've done some pretty cool looking jack-o'-lanterns or pumpkins and uh and is there one where the smoke kind of comes out of his mouth haven't done that yet okay. i've thought about it but that's kind of one of those things where you got to do a little bit of uh you know excavation drill some holes through to his mouth or his nose i could but uh no the halloween pipe is it's kind of an interesting theme. You get into that and I just get inspired on that and go, Oh, Hey, this will be cool. So there's the one, um, you probably saw the Halloween tree. So it's the tree holding up the pumpkin. The other one yeah. is, uh, Oh yeah. There's the pumpkin sitting on nine different skulls. And then there's a black cat sitting on the shank. That was a, one of those things in the middle of the night when you wake up, can't sleep and you're lying there in bed and a little inspiration comes about oh that's a good idea for a pipe <laughs> so those are those are fun and they're reasonably quick actually a, a pumpkin you know, has a relatively simple form and then carving nice pumpkin jack-o'-lantern face on it is relatively simple i don't really particularly care about how the grain comes out you want the grain not to show too much uh, so a dark stain works well um yeah so the did you see the one with the uh, the hand yeah. holding the pumpkin? Yeah. So that, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, those are on my, on my other website on murfpipes.com. Yeah. So and and I put some of them on on the Instagram account, which is Pipes by Murph. So you, you know you can look at those things and see there. Having having fun with little pieces of wood. Yeah, and the website is uh, murf, M-U-R-F, pipes.com. 
The Instagram account is Pipes by Murph, M-U-R-F. So go there, follow him, do all that stuff. Uh, your stem work, are these all hand-cut stems? Or are you using any pre-molded? Or, uh, or are you cutting these all by no, hand? It, yeah, uh, that's that's a good question, too. And uh, I discovered once, you know, once I got back in pipe carving, then I got myself a, an honest-to-God lathe that works and... Uh, so I didn't have to deal with vulcanite anymore, and it and it allows me to actually create something special in a stem that I couldn't do before. But boy, that, there's so much effort. People really don't recognize how much time and energy goes into creating a nice mouthpiece yeah. or a pipe. You gotta you gotta go through and drill that thing, and you know, starting with a nice piece of ebonite that is. Interestingly enough, about a dollar an inch. <laughs> and some of it's much more expensive than that. So you go through a, a piece and it gets thrown off the lathe or you, you know, scratch it up badly and ruin it. <laughs> Too bad. Um, but then following it thin, so you get a nice bite on it, making sure that the uh, uh, the button is, is good and that you've got the plenum. The plenum is crucial. So you want to get that plenum so that the the breathing comes through and the volume or the cross-sectional area in that stem is the same all the way through or it increases towards the mouthpiece and then you don't get any uh, precipitation in there. So that plenum is crucial and and it's it's one of those things that some of these pipe makers you know, are just exquisitely good at. Todd Johnson and Michael Parks, for instance, you look at a Michael Parks stem <laughs> they are utterly perfect. Yeah. To get there, um, if you look very, very closely at my pipe stems, you might find, eh, you know, this it's isn't perfect. But uh, if you're biting it, uh, it's soon not going to be perfect anyway. But that's the part. And like I said, seven or eight or ten hours spent on a on a stem is... Uh, is a lot of time. If you looked at my mermaids on that site, you saw that uh, I do these curly things. So I'll just go carve it into a spiral or a helix. And those are fun. Or inclusions. So I'll put an inclusion in a little bit of pipe stem, along with bands and things of that nature. I don't, I haven't used silver and I haven't banded pipes yet, but um, you know, that's something maybe in the future. I don't know. And, and again, you are really doing this. I mean, th this is a passion project for you. This is not a, uh, a high profit, high volume business either. That's absolutely, <laughs> that's absolutely true. Right. If I make, um, if I make, um, you know, Chick-fil-A wages, carving pipes, I'd be very, very happy. Um, I don't <laughs> really need the money. As I mentioned, I'm retired, so I'm doing it mostly pleasure. Uh, the upshot is that I wind up with so many pipes of my own, like these inspirations. I carve something that I think is really beautiful and gratifying, and I enjoy it. So I I sit it there, and then now I've got gathered a bunch of them. And since in the last couple of years we haven't had any pipe shows, I haven't been able to take my wares out and show them to the public. Because when people actually see these things in person and are able to pick them up, look them over, and feel them, that's that's a big part of the yeah what what makes them special yeah i always prefer looking at pipes before i buy them unless i really know the pipe maker your pipes in particular which i've seen in person uh i mean they they really do stand out when you see them in person uh and then of Thank course you. you also don't want this to get into a high volume thing because if the surf's up you're you're taking three days off that's a fact on the face of it. Yep. yep. So, yep. I don't want to be, yeah, this is, this is an avocation. It's a, it's a hobby. Uh, I don't want to make, make it into a career or a job move or anything of that nature. No, I'm having too much fun. Yeah. So if I saw my pipes, uh, and somebody's willing to pay and said, Hey, I love that pipe. I want it. Then I'm very happy in somebody's hands. If, I don't sell any pipes. Well, I'm still just as happy because I'm getting the enjoyment and the thrill 
out of what I do and why I do it, quite frankly. So it's just a, a labor of love. Yeah. So go on his website. If you see a pipe you like, email him and ask him, you know, talk about that pipe. Murph, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Go ahead and shoot at me. What is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a briar that I made in the late, in the early 80s. Um, and it's a very elaborate hawk's talon. Ooh. Next. And what is your favorite tobacco? That would probably be, uh, I love the English blends. And I've done some vapors, but they're a little bit harder on my tongue. I like, um, so good English blends are where I'm at. And what is your favorite drink? My favorite drink. I am a brewer. Uh So I brew beer also on my spare time. And uh, I share it with my neighbors. So they come over on a regular basis. We all drink beer together. My favorite beer is one I call elder abuse. It's an old ale style. And so, but it's a very high alcohol. It's about eight, just over 8% by volume. And it's a delicious beer that's well oaked and just tastes really good, which is the reason I gave it the name. (laughs) So that's my favorite drink. (laughs) When it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Oh, that's a good, ah, gosh, that's a tough one. You know, I do all three. Um, a book is generally the best, but if I want to enjoy it with my wife, it's probably a movie. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? That would be when I won the pipe contest, uh, for the tender box and my wife and I went to St. Claude, France. Yeah. Um, and they had a banquet for us in honor, in our honor where there were probably 50 people in a restaurant up in the Jura. Uh, we were eating raclette. But the beauty was everybody in the room is smoking a pipe. There's a huge cloud of smoke uh. in the room. It was wonderful. It was just one of those experiences where you're, you're looking across the room at the other people and talking and in a cloud of smoke, of pipe smoke, while everybody's smoking. It was great. Mm. So the French are great at that. And they do. They they love their pipes and they love to eat. They eat light. But um, yeah, so that's <laughs> my favorite pipe memory. Murph, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. I know it's a it it's been a couple of years since we talked about doing this, but I I appreciate you coming on and keep making those really beautiful pipes. Well, thanks very much, Brian, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity of talking with you and uh, getting some of the word out. So you have a great evening, and uh, and I will be listening to your podcast. And we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I'm still a little jet lagged. Um, <laughs> both mornings I've now been up before, like six or something like that. I don't know. Anyway. I'll get over it. I'll get back to my normal night owlness. Uh, do check out everything Murph does. And hey, Halloween is right around the corner. So if you're looking for a Halloween pipe, check them out. All right, for music. Uh, so Frank, 
Frank and I had uh, Frank and I had a lot of conversations, most of them targeted around the world of pipes and pipe tobacco. And Frank was also interested in my uh, Disney Tobacchiana collection. And in fact, I gave him a book of matches or something for his museum. But the one thing that Frank, every time we would talk about it, his eyes would light up was, uh, you know, he was of the age when, uh, when the Davy Crockett shows came out on the wonderful world of Disney or the Disneyland show, that was his thing. So, uh, this is the original song, the ballad of Davy Crockett, which was a song that I was able to send along to Frank probably 10 years ago. Uh, this is the original one sung by Fess Parker from 1955, and it is 1955, so just keep that in mind as you hear these lyrics. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, green estate in the land of the free, raised in the woods so he knew every tree, killed him a bar when he was only three, Davy, Davy Crockett. King of the wild frontier. In 1813, the creeks uprose, adding redskin arrows to the country's woes. Now, engine fighting is something he knows, so he shoulders his rifle and off he goes. Davy, Davy Crockett, the man who don't know fear. Off through the woods, he's a marching along, making up yarns and singing a song. Itchy for fighting and righting a wrong. He's ringy as a bar and twice as strong. Davy, Davy Crockett, the buckskin buccaneer. He fought single-handed through the engine war till the creeks was whipped and the peace was in store. And while he was handling this risky chore, he made himself a legend forevermore. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. He gave his word and he gave his hand that his engine friends could keep their land. And the rest of his life he took the stand that justice was due ever redskin band. Davy, Davy Crockett, holding his promise dear. He went off to Congress and served a spell, fixing up the government and laws as well. Took over Washington, so we hear tell, and patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell. Davy, Davy Crockett, seeing his duty clear. When he come home, his politicking done. The big western march had just begun. So he packed his gear and his trusty gun, and lit out a grinning to follow the sun. Davy, Davy Crockett, leading the pioneer. He heard of Houston and Austin and so, to the Texas Plains he just had to go For freedom was fighting another foe And they needed him at the Alamo Davy, Davy Crockett The man who don't know fear His land is biggest and his land is best From grassy plains to the mountain's crest He's ahead of us all meeting the test Following his legend into the west Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Everybody's got their favorite Disney thing, and uh, that was Frank. So, Frank, that's for you. What's this? A letter for me. And if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. And iTunes ratings and reviews. We'll get those this time, and then we'll get caught up on the mailbag as we go through the next couple of weeks. But uh, uh, the Real Kid Ugly writes, What I've Been Missing. I tried to find a good pipe podcast a couple of years back and had no luck. I have no idea how this show never crossed my path back then. This is exactly what I was looking for. Amazing interviews, good music, and the ads. The ads alone make it worth it. They have that nice classic feel to them and takes you back. Perfect to smoke a good pipe to. Well, thank you very much. And Al Beck writes, uh, fantastic five stars. Thank you for today, tomorrow, and yesterday. Your podcast contains a fountain of knowledge, especially to this 45-year-old new pipe smoker. 
Thoroughly enjoy the how-tos, history, pipe-making, blending, reviews, cellaring, opinions. I'm coming to this hobby as a new smoker. My wife of 21 years just shakes her head. <laughs> uh, the podcast has something for everyone. I can easily nerd out being an engineer to the details. In fact, I listened to 20-plus episodes and watched hours of YouTube videos before even lighting up. Uh, thank you for the commitment and investment over four, over the 473 episodes so a newbie like me can learn and start off on the right foot. Cheers. Uh, you're welcome, Al. Thank you. And uh, talking about 473 episodes, uh, so just to, con just to clear up the math, uh, this is the beginning of our 10th season, not uh, 10 years. So we finished nine years. So now we're going on the, we're starting the 10th season, have not completed 10 because that would be uh, 523 episodes or 523 point da 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 da, something math like that. And I'm still too jet lagged to do math. So, all right, and we'll catch up with the mailbag in the uh, future weeks, I promise. So keep those cards and letters coming. And again, comments, questions, email them to me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And uh, in just a moment, I'll uh, take, a time, take some time and uh, talk about Frank Burla. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. to give Frank Burla what I think is the highest praise possible. Uh, Frank Burla was the Walt Disney of the pipe shows. Yeah, Frank didn't invent the pipe show, but he made it better. He made it bigger. He made it stronger. Frank didn't come up with the idea for uh, seminars at pipe shows, but he made them bigger, stronger, and Frank wanted and Frank worked tirelessly on promoting the pipe shows. Uh, Frank, like many Vietnam era veterans, didn't want to talk about the past. And in very rare conversations with him, would I get a chance to hear him tell maybe just a little bit about what he did in the army and with the FBI. Uh, in fact, Frank put up with me uh, constantly teasing him about his secret job at the FBI was he was the one who carried J. Edgar Hoover's dresses around and Frank would giggle at it and of course he'd tolerate me but he was always about you and about what was going on in the future and every discussion you had with him was about pipes and pipe tobacco in the future and how's your family and how's everybody he was he wasn't about him in fact you'll hear that in the episode of the pipes magazine radio show where Frank is on he didn't want to talk about him and his history he did want and finally agreed to narrating a tour of the museum, which he kept and furnished and held it and you know, made it open and available to anybody that wanted to go, as long as it wasn't during show week. Uh, and then even when it came time to talk about the show, he had Craig Cobine come on because Craig was running the show at that point. So, Frank, thank you very much. I will say one thing about Frank, when my daughter was off, and now that Frank's gone, I can say this out in public, but when my daughter was in Manchester, England, uh, Frank gave me a phone number to call in case there was any trouble, and I'm not sure what that phone number went to, but I'm pretty sure it was an FBI field office there, and yeah, if anything was happening, so Frank was all about family. Uh, Frank, you are missed, you will be missed, and your legacy will live on in the... Uh, greatest pipe show in the world the chicagoland pipe show 
So with all that, uh, thank you very much to Murph for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Thanks for everything, Frank.